Fired on Bears fans. We got game preview on a Wednesday. That means the Chicago Bears must be playing on Thursday night. They love giving us these Thursday night matchups where it's like, I got to watch this tonight. Sorry, America, but this is what you get. Commanders, Bears coming up. We got to preview that. Is this a must-win game for Flus? Peter King seems to think so. Also, got to talk about how the Bears maintain their offense. Justin Fields is actually on a pace to become our best quarterback if he keeps passing the way that he's passing. How's that make you feel? We'll talk about all that and more with Courtney Cronin on today's episode of the Chicago Bears podcast. Hit that like button, subscribe to the page, drop a bear down. It's what we do. It is what it is. I mean, this is this is the life that we live. Courtney, how are you? I'm good. Right, I mean, right as, I, right as you drink the Diet Coke, that's when I directed it to you. <laughs> no, I mean, it's good. It's it's this short week. I've gotten this question on a bunch of radio interviews this week of which Bears team is going to show up tomorrow. The one that played three quarters and looked really good in those yep. three quarters, albeit against the 32nd ranked defense, or is it going to be a team that's thrown the towel in? And I honestly think it's the former because we've talked with guys at the podium all week and today will be the first time that we get in the locker room, but you don't sense this energy, which even from the quarterback, like I'll start with fields. I think that last week coming off the chiefs lost, that looked like a really dejected guy, somebody who had his confidence broken, somebody who wasn't, you know, necessarily feeling like they're on the right track. Yeah. But how he handled things yesterday, where you could tell he takes a sense of pride. Obviously, a 335-yard passing stat line is not the end-all, be-all for his career, and he knows that. But it's a confidence boost, and you need confidence boost, uh, you know, positive reinforcement, reminders that, hey, I am actually an NFL quarterback, even if it hasn't gone as well as I wanted it to go. Like, this is still what I do. Right. And that that sense kind of carries over to other players that we've spoken to this week. And it's, I mean, if it's not one thing of turmoil, it's another for this team. But I honestly think that the way that guys have handled questions on Chase Claypool is like the latest thing that this team has to deal with, you know, this team's focused right now on yeah. Washington and maybe it's YOLO mode because they're 0 and 4 and it's like, how much worse can it possibly get? I mean, you've already lost four games. Like if you lose another one, it's the same position you've been in. But I, I think that this game coming on a short week, typically I'm very anti Thursday games, but yeah. this one, it couldn't have come at a better time for them. Oh my God. I mean, it's the only thing that makes the gut punch that we just went through bearable is like, it was like Monday sucks Tuesday. We kind of got to get ready for this game coming up, right? Wednesday. We're previewing the game. The game's tomorrow, so it's going to be interesting. That's going to be a late night for me. We'll be live over on the post-post game show from 12 to 2. Stick with us on that. I don't know if you saw the donuts outside, the guy doing donuts in front of the I did. I did. Was that you the other day? It was not me, but I hope that that guy comes back from 12 to 2 because it'll give us something uh, to talk about outside of the Bears. But no, I just... Let's start it off here, Courtney, the first quarter because of the Peter King article, right? Peter King seems to think that, you know, he says he wouldn't be surprised uh, that there are jobs on the line based on this game. From what we saw last week, going forward on fourth down to now this week, if you were to come out of this with a loss, this could be Matt Eberflus's last game as a Chicago Bear. Now, the Bears, I don't believe, have ever fired a coach midseason. I don't know no. if that's something to hang your hat on. There's been plenty that you could have, but they feel a, a sense of pride with that in this Bears organization that they've allowed guys to go through the season and finish out their jobs. 
where where are we at with the hot seat on flus? Is this full on lava or is this just right? The pot's on high. Well, nobody knows. So like, that's the thing, whether it's Peter King, who is a, an entrenched journalist who's been doing this a long time, whether it's Brad Biggs, who, who is the longest tenured member of our beat. Like if you read some of the people who have been, you know, well-versed in bears calamity before nobody knows. And that's, that's the thing. Like you, no one's going to go into this game. If you read any report of, Oh, it's must win or he's gone. Like there's just no way to, make that make have like concrete knowledge of that at this point, because the team's not going to come out and say that, because if you put an ultimatum on somebody before a game, it's probably not going to go very well. But Matt Eberflus is not dumb for all of the comments that he's made about. We're close. I feel like we're building something here. All this stuff where people are like, are we watching the same game? Yeah. He knows what's at stake. He knows what's on the line for himself and for this team. And if this losing streak gets extended to 15, it's not good. It's not good at all right now with a 14-game losing streak, 0-4 start this season, giving up 24 unanswered points last week. Like None of that's good, and it's a direct reflection on the head coach too because the buck stops there. It stops with him. But yeah. honestly, I would kind of parrot what a lot of other people are saying. I wouldn't be surprised if it were to happen on Friday. I also wouldn't be surprised to see it not happen because there's there's – two sides of this. If it did happen, it's because you have Kevin Warren in charge calling the shots who has seen enough at that point. And, you know, we saw him in the post-game locker room the other day. Um, typically you don't see the team president down there. That's a calculated move. That's a right. statement sort of move. Um, and if he's viewing this as his chance to get this thing back on track and save whatever's left of this season, then you'll make that move if they lose. And if you feel like you have a good contingency plan, now that takes me to the other side of this of why they wouldn't do it. What's their contingency plan? Like they're already <laughs> down a coordinator. So are you going to have Luke Getze who has struggled to call this offense offense also be your interim head coach? Are you going to give that to Richard Hightower, who's a special teams coordinator? Like you only have two coordinators to choose from unless you want to promote one of the position coaches. Yeah. And I mean, John Hoke, obviously well-respected, you know, veteran of this team, well-respected coach at the college and at the NFL level as a position coach, he's the pass game coordinator on defense. So he has like a slight coordinator title. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, their options are very limited is what yeah. I'm trying to say. And I think that that's where we need to have a little bit of pause. If the team does not go the route that many would think, Hey, 15 game losing streak all under one head coach time for that coach to go. If they don't end up going that route, it's because they're looking around realizing that it might look even worse, it might look even worse if they, if they make a change and you've got to be pretty dead set on that. Cause if you make a change, like, Mid-season, that signals to the rest of the staff that, that, that everybody's gone after this year. So yeah. then what product are you putting out there? It's just, it's very difficult to know what to say. Nobody can say they know one way or the other. You can play out the scenarios like we just did, but neither option is is one that like leads you to a ringing endorsement one way or the other of, oh, this will be what gets this team fixed. This will be what gets this team on track. Like You won't. Neither neither one would probably do that if they're I, I, I think if you were to fire Flus at this point, right, you're basically saying, hey, I, 
We're punting on the season. Mm -hmm. We're going to go into this and try and see what we can get out of Justin Fields. We're going to keep Getsy around probably and hope to see that offense continue, right? Keep the stability there because that's the side where the biggest question marks are. If you get the top two picks in the draft, you're not taking a defensive player, even though maybe you should at, at some point. You're taking Caleb Williams and maybe Marvin Harrison, maybe, maybe. I yeah, know. I mean, it would, make sense. it would make sense if you want to continue to build this receiving core. It would yeah, make sense. So you're, you're going to go into this and keep the offensive side of the football intact. I think, I don't know if you would, you would even promote Getsy in that sense because of that. Hope to me probably makes the most sense if you are in that position. But realistically, Peter King talked about it and he said, you know, you don't lose 14 games in a row and, and keep your job. To me, it's not the streak, right? I think that the organization has an understanding of what the first 10 losses of that are. Mm -hmm. To me, it's the fact that I brought these pieces in defensively. Yes, it's not the perfect defense. I told you it wasn't going to be the perfect defense. I told you we're missing pieces, but my young pieces aren't developing. We have, we've seen a little bit from Javon, a little bit from Zach in each game, but it hasn't been like what you wanted to see, what you hope to see right away from them. And then Outside of that, we're one of the worst defenses in the NFL when DVOA has the Denver Broncos as one of the worst defenses in NFL history. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't keep your job as a defensive coach, and through four games, this is the output that you're putting out there. No, and I mean, he's got a lot on his plate. Like, Eberflus right now looks completely overmatched. Um I don't, I don't want to say underprepared, but yeah, yeah. they look underprepared. They like, we, underprepared. We know that they're doing yeah. the work. Like, I'm not trying to like say that he's like mailing it in or anything like that. He just looks like he has no clue what's going on out there and how to stop the bleeding, whether it's handling a press conference properly to, you know, how you handle a team that makes adjustments to you in the second half where Russell Wilson, after a pretty decent half in the bears defense, Russell Wilson's getting the ball out faster. They had no yeah. counter for that. They got killed on third down on both of those touchdowns that he had in the, the third and the fourth quarter. Like it's just not good. And so I, I think that this is a situation with Eberflus where let's say, let's, let's go the option that like they don't, fire anybody even if they like win loss no matter like what whatever it is coming out of tomorrow's game they don't fire anybody right you have to make some serious soul searching priority priorities like that has to be your priority over the mini bye week because on the defensive side of the ball it can't look like this anymore you've got four games and two sacks to show for it a 22 percent pressure rate all of those are the worst in the nfl and that's a mark on him too if he's here, if he's not next year, right now it's trending towards this entire coaching staff being gone. Right. If you're just like reading the tea leaves, yeah. don't you want to be a defensive coordinator somewhere else? Like you still have to show that you can do the job. And this year is shown he cannot. Like this year is shown that it is bad as far as him as a defensive play caller and someone who they're running your defense. Like how, what team that's, you know, out there right now is going to look and say, like, okay, that's exactly what I want. That's, you know, that's the defense that I think is is going to, you know, for whatever, whoever gets hired next year to bring him on staff. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No, I, it's just, and I think too, right, like the one thing that I've always questioned with Flus, if you bring in a defensive guy, one, the defense needs to be better, but two, where are you as a leader, right? Because we're in an, we're in an NFL where the offense is the focus, right? And the Bears are shifting towards their offense being the focus. At least that's what, to me, drafting Darnell Wright in the first round did. By the way, he looks really good. Like, I I get the Jalen Carter stuff, and you're not going to look at an offensive lineman the same way, but he looks really good. Looks like Poles might have hit on his first hit. Mm -hmm. But realistically to me, right, like, when I'm looking at the leadership in the building, 
yesterday or two days ago on Black and Abdallah, we hear Eddie Jackson saying, we're telling coach to tell us to blitz more. We've now heard five players talk about publicly, we're telling coach what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we've, we've heard four on the offensive side basically say, you're not using me right. Let's get the ball to our playmakers. I'm playing too robotic. We hear the tell me about it from DJ Moore, right? Like, all of those things. And now on the defensive side, Bojack coming out and saying, listen, we need to, we need to pressure more. We need yeah. to attack more. Like, there's no – pick your poison. You're These guys aren't dumb. They're, they're doing this so that they're like, we see what's going wrong too. It's not us. <laughs> And I mean, you get into save yourself mode. I understand that. And players, coaches, it's human nature when things are going wrong to start pointing fingers, to start saying, hey, this isn't working. We want to do something completely different. And coaches, a lot of times, are going to want to stick to what they know, how that, because you got to know how to coach it. If you don't, then it's just going to be a disaster if you're trying to get guys to do something you yourself don't truly understand. But I thought Eddie's comments were interesting just because, you know, that's an injured player right now who, you know, typically we don't get to talk to injured players at Hallis Hall, but yeah. he's doing a live remote for uh, ESPN 1000. And he felt, it felt very unfiltered. It felt like that was probably the most fun he's had during an interview. Oh, yeah. It felt like he was really able to like express himself and kind of what's going on and tell you from somebody who's been here now, 17, 18, 19, 21, the seven seasons, like, yeah. Every year it's been something or another that's like kind of looked like this. And I just, I look at this situation where you've got him saying, this is what we should do defensively. And a defensive minded head coach who is now your de facto defensive coordinator, not really doing much that like the play, even the play, if the players can call it out and say, Hey, that's probably what we should be doing. And like the coach is not like, abiding by that then yeah. that's a sign of a bigger issue here and, and maybe if they do end up making a move those will be the sort of things because you know that like kevin warren if he's going to make a move is not it's not it's going to be just like his decision alone he's somebody who likes to take a lot of information before he can make a decision and i think consulting with leaders not like people on the leadership council like hearing these things that have been said in the media um all of that factors into decisions that could be made down the line, but also like how the head coaches responded to those decisions. So yeah. it's, it's, it's not good. I don't know if Flus will be fired. I don't listen. I like Flus. I want Flus to be successful. He coaches my team. If he's successful, we're mm-hmm. successful, but the product that you're putting out on the field is not successful. And I think that that's the, the biggest issue. Right. And I, I don't know who you turn to. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I'm not going to say that I, I love the, the, the the fans who are just like, fire this guy, trade this guy, cut this guy, but they don't think about like, okay, what's the option? What's like the yeah. option's not bad. Like, that's one thing. Yes, let's do it. All right, fine. What's next? I don't know if Hope can coach as a head coach. I know he can coach where he's at as a as a as a uh, a positional coach, but I don't know if he can coach as a head coach. I don't know if Getty, I I don't even know if he's an offensive coordinator yet. Like I'm trying to figure that part out. Like, there's so many questions that are going on. I'm, I I hope that we can figure out some of them this week. Let's preview this Commanders game, though, because uh, tomorrow we do have a very interesting game versus a a much better defense, a, a much mm-hmm. better front seven at a minimum. Questions on the secondary, but definitely a much better front seven. Second quarter brought to you by the Hard Rock Casino in Northern Indiana. You can see John Mulaney and Pete Davidson this Friday, October 6th. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. All right, Courtney. 
When you look at this game coming up here, Bears seem to find something offensively. Seemed like that was Justin Fields playing free. Mm-hmm. How do the Chicago Bears maintain what we saw in that week four matchup going into this commander's game Thursday night? There's a number of things. Cause like, I'm never going to buy when you ask coaches like, all right, what was good in this game? What's going to carry over? They're never going to tell you because they feel like they're giving away the game plan. Yeah. And But you're not going to change up what you do all that much. Once you find something, like nobody's the Patriots that literally change their personnel and like who their identity (laughs) is on a week-to-week basis. They don't do that in the NFL. Majority of teams don't do that. The Bears found something that worked. That a a run game that featured Khalil Herbert, who was able to finally get that unit going. Six, you know, just under six yards of carry. That was really, really good. So that helped. But... They utilized two tight end sets most frequently that they had all season, which, you know, might be due to health, might be due to a number of different reasons, not having Chase Claypool there, giving them an opportunity to not have to live in 11 personnel, which, I mean, obviously it was still like 50%, but I do think that they have a situation now where they can look at what they did to get those plays to happen, the explosive plays, the 20-yard gains, the third down plays that converted on third and long. You had rolling pockets. You had the quarterback on bootlegs and play action passes, the highest rate of his career, which led to multiple touchdowns. That stuff you can go back to the well on. Now, obviously, you have to account for who they have on their defensive line, and you cannot have free rushers. You cannot leave, you know, Montez Sweat or Chase Young, like, unblocked. You can't do those things. You will have a bad day. You'll have a really (laughs) bad day. But I think that there's way more here even though it was done against the 32nd defense that they can carry over than not. And it's an excuse if they say, well, you know, we couldn't get DJ more nine targets this game because, you know, I mean, and plus they're in dime a lot because you were mentioning that secondary, like they had six DBs on the field for the most yeah. of that game against, um, against Philadelphia. So like, yeah, there's going to be added attention to DJ Moore, like there should be because he's a number one receiver, but you still got to find ways to get him the ball. And, I thought it was just a really complimentary look in the passing game to where he was on his first and second reads and he was able to move the ball quickly. It wasn't like he was going through, all right, my third progression, my fourth progression. Like he was very decisive because he's getting, he was getting the ball out a lot faster. And that leads to Cole Komet, like the stat lines that say nine targets for a tight end, nine targets for your wide receiver, Darnell Mooney, four for four for 51 yards. Like those are the things that happen when, all of the other stuff is part of the game plan, the play actions, the motions, the highest motion rate that they had had all season to give them, you know, a couple tells from the defense before the snap. There's a lot of that. I think it's really good. And I also think that that's stuff that they can legitimately build on. Yeah, I think, listen, the the understanding to me that we can actually, the confidence, I should say, that was built up in this offensive line, in uh, Khalil Herbert, that is... I, I can say this for a fact. That is the hardest I've ever seen Khalil Herbert run. That's, th- this isn't just right like Khalil Herbert was getting open lanes and he was taking off. No, people were like on top of Khalil Herbert and he was carrying them. I didn't know he had that in him. That's why Roshan Johnson was here. I didn't think he could do that. Yeah. That is the toughest I've ever seen him run. The confidence that it built up in him. And Honestly, just the confidence from Getze, right? Like, to me, who do you think has built up more confidence from that game? Of course, Justin Fields. But I feel like 
coming into the season, Fields and DJ Moore were confident in their connection. Yeah. Khalil Herbert was confident in his game. This offense was confident. It felt like the play caller to me wasn't confident. Who confident, not confident, confident, although uh, three weeks. But uh, who do you feel gained the most confidence from this game? that we saw in Denver that will carry over into this week five matchup. It's got to be play calling. I mean, of course, Justin Fields, it's like everything else, Justin Fields aside is what the menu you're choosing from yeah, here. Yeah. Because, of course, having your your quarterback and Robert Tunyon spoke about this, DJ Moore talked about this, like that's a confidence boost for him when he sees I can throw for 300 yards. But that's also a confidence boost for your play caller that my quarterback can operate like an NFL quarterback and have a stat line that reads like an NFL quarterback on a week in and week out basis. So yeah. there's a lot there that, you know, he's been throwing a lot of stuff at the wall to see if it's going to stick and for it to finally have stuck in a way where they show you your offense shows you this stuff can carry over. If we do X, Y, Z, if we get this player involved, if we, you know, the two tight end sets wasn't just for the passing game. It was, but like even where you saw like other guys get involved, but that's yeah. max protection. That's yeah. helping your offensive line do their job. And I, I just feel like this is a a system that they can at least use this as a blueprint against other teams. Like yeah. you don't need to have Justin dropping back 60 something times in a two or three game stretch and just like straight dropbacks. You need to put him in position where he's, you know, getting out, rolling away from pressure where you can buy more time because he's faking a handoff and then on the run and looking for somebody open downfield. That gives him more more time to read the defense, more yeah. time to, you know, execute what he's going to do. And I I just know that there are plenty of things that they can take from this game and move forward. I don't like if they revert back to course, it's going to be the most demoralizing thing for this offense. Cause they showed you for one week and yes, yeah. you are going against a better defense, but they showed you for one week. They could look like a real NFL offense that doesn't live in third and long. Like they were staying out of third down for most of that first half. They were living in like first and second down, moving the ball down the field pretty efficiently and not getting into the situation where, okay, like, Protection's got to be much better in this situation because it's an obvious passing down and all of the things that they've had to do to get themselves out of jams before. You didn't see that early on. So I would imagine that they will want to on a short week too. You don't really have too much time to install anything new, but like taking a menu of like mixing the menu of plays that you have for this offense and finding ways to, you know, replicate a lot of what you did because that'll like as a play caller once you see you don't want to have that like dreadful moment where okay the script is over like right. you know, first 10 to 15 plays looks fine and then like okay oh no now we're in second and long now we're in third and long now it's three and out okay well next time we get out here like how do we like, you don't want to have those sorts of moments like you too want to be playing ahead of the chains and i think that this game has had to give luke given luke a lot of confidence about in his abilities as a play caller too yeah, I mean, and the the biggest thing for me that I saw was it was just like even though we're playing the thirty second ranked offense or defense in the mm -hmm. NFL right now, we're going to eliminate five step dropbacks. We're we're gonna we're going to try and make sure that Justin is getting this ball out as quickly as possible. We're going to cut the field in half for him. We're going to make sure that DJ Moore is always in his line of sight, and, and I think that. Those seem like easy things for us, right? Apparently, they were difficult things for them, but to me. 
even seeing Justin Fields' confidence grow to the point where he told you guys in the podium, right, if DJ Moore's double covered, I'm I'm probably not going to put the ball on him. We saw DJ Moore double covered a couple of times, mm-hmm. and it just got to a point where that relationship got confident enough where he was like, let's see if I can get this in here. He hits DJ, and, and it, to the point where the Broncos defenders were like, what the heck? How'd you catch that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's the kind of special player that you have in a DJ Moore. And so for me, I think that the confidence was boosted on all fronts. I think Getsy as a play caller gained a lot more confidence in his trust of Justin Fields. But I also think that in that, Justin gained so much trust with the players that he had on the field because I don't even, right, like the 291 versus Pittsburgh was a good passing game for him. But I don't think that ago. he should, a long time ago, long time ago. But I don't year. think he showed the confidences in as many receivers as we saw in this game. He was confident that Cole was going to catch. He was confident in in Darnell, confident in DJ. So to me, that's that's what I'm hoping carries over here. Now we do got to look at the other side of the football, right? The defensive side has been, I mean, listen, they're the worst defensive football. Yeah. They're they're by far the worst defensive football, which, which is hard to say after watching that Denver defense going through the all 22. It was literally a day of me going, wow, we're really bad. Wow, they're also really, really bad. <laughs> How is this defense going to slow down, Sam? How uh, 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 Eddie Jackson said, we know what he's going to do. He's basically a one-read guy, and if you get pressure on him, you're going to be able to break him down. Can the Chicago Bears break down what Eric Bieniemy is putting together here with Sam Howe, who's been kind of up and down? He's coming. Yeah, off he's a been great... all over the place, yeah. and like you know, I he's the most sacked quarterback right now in the NFL. Twenty-four. Yeah, it's it's right up there. I think twenty. I just had it. Yeah, twenty four sacks for a loss of one hundred and fifty six yards. So that's a couple football fields worth of um, of yardage that he's lost off of those plays. And his sack percentage is like among the highest in yeah. the NFL. So, like, it would lead you to believe that they can, like, that he they do find they will find themselves in situations where they can pressure the quarterback. But honestly, until you see it. It's probably um, more unrealistic to think that that's a lock, that that's going to be a situation that continues where they've got him sacked a couple times and they're able to capitalize off of that field position that they get in those moments. But I I think what we saw against Denver was a good first half, a first half where they felt like they were in control. Their offense was in, you know, in command of the entire game. And you saw Russ having to like shake off some of the rust that he had earlier in, you know, coming off of the loss that they had the previous week against Miami. Now, Sam Howell's not Russell Wilson, but the adjustments there can be made probably just as well. Like they didn't have any sort of answer for the counter of the quick pass in the second half. And that to me was so jarring because it's like, all right, you know, you guys were doing so well early on. What changed? Like, why did why didn't you change along with it too? And so, I think that this is now a situation where you know, offensively, like this is, you know, it's not the it's just like the defense for Washington's a lot better than their offense, and I don't feel like Washington's offense and Denver's offense are all that much different. Do you? Like, I'm not the like, when you look at it. Like, yes, they've had. They've been Better in games closer. Sure. They, they, yeah, but like that shouldn't be your end-all, be-all. Yeah. And I just yeah, don't yeah. look at that, you know, especially when the quarterback play. When when he goes from – when Sam Howell goes from playing Denver to playing Buffalo the next week, yeah. he goes from looking like 
you know, an MVP candidate winning that game on the road and then, you know, get coming back down to earth against Buffalo in a big, big way. Like you've got to take away his, you know, take away the quick reads, take away like all of the things that have made him comfortable because you know, this is like not a great starting quarterback. It's just, it's, he's an average starting quarterback right now who's been sacked a lot. And if the pressure rates, like, look, the pressure went up last week. It was like 33%. Um, and like the, you know, Russell Wilson, I want to say only dropped back to pass like 30, 28 times. So like yeah. they really weren't in that many passing situations. And it's not like Denver was running the ball all that well. Um, so I just, I, I look at that and think that there's some things that can carry over from this Denver game into what they do against Washington, knowing that like it's slow and it's probably slower than most people want to see, but like there really has been a little bit of an increase week to week on how much yeah. they've been able to pressure quarterbacks. It just really hasn't resulted in anything, but the numbers tell you that there's, they're, They're getting more pressure. A little bit. It's just it's not enough. <laughs> like, I mean, the numbers don't, like, give you any sort of confidence. But to go from where they were week one to to now, it's it's too incremental of improvement to really, like, call home about, but at least yeah. it's something. If you really look at it, right, we're really 0-1 because the first three games were preseason games. That's how the NFL is treating it. That's, that's, that's how I make myself feel better. Don't worry about it. But... <laughs> It's so weird. The league is so weird this year. The Bengals are trash. The Bears basically haven't improved. I guess that's not that weird. But, like, Mm -hmm. it's such a weird NFL this year to start things off that I just – I go into every week and I'm like, I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen on the flip side of this. Like, maybe maybe they're going to go off and dominate, right? Like, the the commanders are going toe-to-toe with the Eagles. I mean, I know. Into an overtime game, too. I have no idea what uh what what's gonna happen this week, and I never know week to week with with how this league changes all the time. Let's jump into the halftime segment here. I think we need a little fun in our lives, Courtney, because I want to get your opinion on this because uh we gotta figure out where we gotta stop the line, draw the line for support animals. I don't okay. know if you saw this story. Ooh. A Phillies fan was denied bringing his emotional support animal into the game. You know what I mean? Kind of tough, Phillies. What are you guys doing? Except for the the fact that this is his emotional support animal. Oh, my gosh. This is Wally Gator. He was denied entrance to watch the Philadelphia uh, uh, Phillies host Pittsburgh. So this is a couple of days ago, apparently. Uh, Social media posts show the Gator on a leash with a harness with with his name on the outside of the stadium. Wally Gator is working um, as a working emotional support alligator owned by Joy Henny of Jonestown, Pennsylvania. The reptile has a big presence on Instagram and TikTok. Who's in the wrong here, Courtney? Uh, are the Phillies uh, in the wrong for not allowing? He's a little guy, right? He's a, well, yeah, he's he's a, a little a- guy, but I don't see any sort of <laughs> band around his, his snout mouth area. Like, I mean, let's remember, he may be your emotional support animal, but he's still an animal, and animals tend to revert to being animals and like who's to say he wouldn't bite somebody um, that was that was the uh, that was the reporter's politically correct way of saying it, it got teeth don't it <laughs> yeah like, like there's the, no the stadium's in the right on this one and like, i know a lot of people have emotional support animals for a number of different reasons yeah. ptsd yeah. um certainly you know when there's like seeing eye dogs and stuff like that we've taken this a little far um, this may be your emotional support alligator, but like there's, 
you know the documentation you need for an emotional support animal like i can't imagine taking that to whatever yeah. uh organization you have to go to to get the the full documentation for an emotional support animal and then be like oh yeah cool we'll sign right off on this what like See, how does that work here's the here's the animal net well i mean listen i've seen peacocks get certified as emotional support and i saw a peacock in the airport at chicago and in, 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 at, at o'hare and somebody was trying to take it on a plane. And all I could think was the Sebastian Meniscalco bit where he was like, aren't you embarrassed? Like, can you imagine that thing? If you decide <laughs> to spread its wings, it would take up like, you know, three rows. It did. That's how I found it. <laughs> As, like we were walking through the, the airport and it was just like, oh, you know, we're NBC. <laughs> we're in the game. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, what the heck is going on? Here's the, here's the problem, right? So I'm a big, I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd when it comes to animals and stuff like that. Big National Geographic guy, planet Earth, love it, right? right. Alligators don't stop growing till they die. They grow about, uh, uh, what is it? I, I think about two feet a year until they're like eight or nine. And then they, they start growing like two on? inches a year. It's crazy, right? Yeah. But uh, what at what point do you have to get rid of? This is in Philadelphia. Like he's in Philly. At what point do you have to get rid of Wally Gator? What great name, by the way. Where are you going to put him? Like, if there's no, like, you can't put him in the, there's no ocean around there. It's like, let's set him free. Well, Gator's a freshwater. So, I mean, I guess you could put him technically in the lake, but then you got dogs missing all over. Oh, man. You know, all over. Remember the alligator you know in mean? Humboldt Park a few years ago? I, I think do. it was during COVID. Somebody said, let do. it out there, idiot. And um, that's just, yeah, that's all. That becomes like a public health crisis at that time. <laughs> Good lord! Oh god, maybe he can help us on uh, when he gets bigger on defense because uh, we need <laughs> we need all the help that we can get here. With this I mean, you said thing. he keeps growing. I mean, why is he this guy not growing. playing basketball? He keeps growing. Yeah, about eight feet tall, usually by four years old. So uh, let's let's get this guy standing up, Wally Gator. You know what I mean? Like that's that's a good name. That's a good basketball name. That's an old school like. You know what I mean? When everybody had like Curly as their name and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, that guy played with uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar <laughs> at one point in his life. A couple inches ago. Couple, couple inches ago. All right, let's let's here's here's let's keep it positive. We're feeling positive right now. Wally Gators got us feeling good here. That's that's so wild to me. I just I saw that I was like I have to bring this. Justin Fields is on pace right now to be one of our best passing quarterbacks of all time. Now he has to continue what we saw in that game. Actually, if he continues just that game, he'll be far ahead of where we have ever seen. He will be our best passer. But just based on the yards that he has right now, mm -hmm. Justin Fields is on pace right now for a 3,800-yard season. This is something that I think if you watch the first four games, most fans would find very, very surprising. The touchdown to interceptions, all of the issues aside, right, listen, we've lived with Jay Cutler here, but does it say something to where the Bears are moving towards, right, that the goal that Justin Fields set out of being one of the Bears' best passers could be one that is still attainable as you head into week five and move through the season versus schedule where as you go through it, I mean, based on the first four weeks, there's not a lot of great defenses that he's going to be seeing. No, and I mean, this stretch should be favorable for him against so Washington, Minnesota, uh, the Raiders coming up after that, and then you know, Carolina's in the mix too. Like... <laughs> For any other team, they'd be like looking at this this stretch and like chomping at the bit. Okay, yeah. this could be a couple wins, and it should be in theory. But 
like when Justin Fields said preseason about, you know, wanting to be the first 4,000 yard passing quarterback that this organization has ever had. I know that, that came as like, Oh man, he's putting that out there. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. that shouldn't be like that. <laughs> hard, which is, it goes, it goes back to, yeah. it goes back to what we saw him do with 335 passing yards this past Sunday. Like yeah. that's the norm for really good quarterbacks in the NFL. And, you know, I don't want to go into history of the Chicago bears and how they've been, you know, a run first team and defense and all that stuff. And that's the reason that they've just let the quarterback position go by the wayside because they could get away for a while with having subpar quarterback play because the defense and the running game would save them. Not in 2023, not in the modern NFL, but like if fields can get closer to that threshold, you know, I mean, we have to look at this and think realistically. All right, this is one game of 335 yards. If this doesn't show up regularly, then he's not the answer at quarterback. And right. he's got a lot to prove over however many games are left here from week five to week 18 that he is still that he can be that guy. Because right now it's trending towards them having a different quarterback in 2024. There's there's no way around that. There's but like statistically, it doesn't mean his career would be over. It might mean he go yeah. he goes and plays somewhere else, but for his own sake not just the Chicago bears in this offense, he's got to show he can have more games that looked like Denver than games that look like green Bay or games that looked like even the ones last year where he'd run for a whole bunch of yards, but it wouldn't amount to anything. Like yeah. what he's doing is what he told us what the day that he expressed frustration about feeling like he was, you know, intimating that he was being overcoached, you know, he, they, they've wanted him to stay in the pocket this year. They've wanted him to develop into a more traditional NFL passer. Now, you don't have to do that off straight dropbacks. You can do that off of play action and, you know, rolling pockets, yep. the whole thing, bootlegs. But, like, I think that it's actually in the best interest of him if he can be put in those situations, fail through them, but also find ways to succeed through them because that's the only way to survival as a quarterback in the NFL. If you can do all those things and do them on a consistent basis. If he does reach these goals, right? Like, I don't know, 4,000. If he, like I said, if he keeps putting up 300 plus yards, he's going to blow past 4,000 with, what is it, 15, 30, or, whoa, math, 12 games left? How after this week, after this week, right? 12 games yeah. left after this week. Okay, I'm good. Games I had, ooh, it's a reason I talk sports. Uh, with 12 <laughs> games left after this week, you know, he'll, he'll blow past 4,000 yards, but realistically, I'm keeping it in a, a, a relatively normal range, you know, 275, 280 yards a game. If he's able to attain that passing level throughout this year, is that something where you still look at Justin Fields and say going into next season, we're probably going to get Caleb Williams? Or does he have to be elite the rest of this year to save himself? That, though, and those numbers don't mean anything if you don't win games. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you don't win games. So, like, and I know that that's not all on him, but that's going to be part of why if they do move on, it's going to be like, okay, he in like, let's say he does do really well in terms of like personal statistics, all things like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When, when are those numbers coming? Are they coming in garbage time? Or are they coming when it actually matters? Is that, you know, in spite of the production or of the playmakers around you, or are you doing it with them? Because right now he's five and 22, yep. five and 23 is a starter. Good. Like 
they may already have their answer and that's fine if they do. And if it's not him, then that's great. He gets to go on somewhere else, whether it's through a trade or somewhere else to, to get to start his career somewhere else. But he, if he's going to put up those numbers, those have to re, be like coinciding with this team winning games Yeah, no, for him 100%. to remain here beyond this season. Something that I thought was interesting uh, when you look at kind of this bears team, an interesting stat here, uh, and I think that it really puts in perspective what Justin Fields is doing and how it could all mean nothing at the end of the day, but it would be the best that the Bears ever had. Carmen put this stat out there at Crosstalk yesterday with Wallen Sylvie. He said, in 17 consecutive seasons, the New England Patriots were able to go out there and win uh, double-digit games. Mm-hmm. 17 consecutive seasons with Tom Brady, double-digit wins. How far back do you have to go? to get to 17 double-digit win seasons for the Chicago Bears. Okay. So, like, I don't know the answer to this, but I was, I'm was gauging off of a conversation you and I had previously. I, yep. I initially said, oh, maybe, like, the 80s, 70s. And based on your body language, I believe that I am so far <laughs> off on that. So I will say, oh, God, the Sid Luckman era. So, like... 1942. mm 17 double-digit win seasons, Yuck. 1942. Oh, my God. That's bad. That is such a I would love to know from, like, other teams, too, when you have, like, double-digit win seasons, because obviously that Patriots team was a dynasty. Yes. There haven't been that many dynasties, like, you know, In consistently. The NFL like that. Like, when did the Steelers have a stretch like that? When did the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys have stretches like that? Because, like, you can still have, like, you know, Winning seasons that might have been nine wins, but yeah, yeah. yeah that's and it's, it's like, I can, I get it right, like, but there's no way there's another franchise that goes back that far. There's yes. no yeah, yeah, way because right. you know you're gonna have right like the Dallas Cowboys. You've got four or five years of ten victories in a row, or you know what I mean, like double digit. What you can see it. I this what about century, the Lions? What about the Lions? Like. This is going to be fun. This isn't me what I the waste Lions, my time on. The today. Lions might be an interesting one. The like, Lions I'm gonna go look through like all of these teams to like try to find out if anybody has it worse than the Bears. Because I mean, if you're going back before 1942, you're going to a time the NFL didn't even exist. Yeah. That was, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, that's yeah, wild. Listen, when you start getting through wars <laughs> yeah, that exactly. like changed the entire world, that's when you know it's been bad. So, uh, quick. <laughs> Let's jump into the fourth quarter. I just, I I, I built them up to Great break them stat. down. Now, that's, that's tough. That stat is tough. A uh, couple of things that I want to, uh, I guess, get some clarification on. Number one, let's start it off here. Devin Jenkins. What's the update on Jenkins? I mean, I, I get it. Short weeks are just walkthroughs, but he mm-hmm. hasn't practiced in a while. Uh, yeah. Is he going to go? So they have to create a roster spot for him first. Yeah. What's the natural roster spot? Getting rid of Chase Claypool and then giving Tevin Jenkins a chance yeah. to get on the roster that way. But we haven't seen that happen yet. Um, the thing with Jenkins, I would just caution, like the guy hasn't played football, hasn't practiced like with like pads on since yep. August before when he got hurt against the Colt against, you know, in joint practices. But like, he was full this week, but remember, they're only going through walkthroughs because it's a short week, and even right. on Wednesday, they're in helmets only. So, again, it's a walkthrough. Um, I would imagine that, you know, everything they're saying at least is on the right timeline, but 
don't forget, this is somebody who's dealt with multiple injuries throughout his career. So yeah. there's probably you kind of using him on a case by case basis as to whether he will, you know, they got to look at him differently than maybe somebody else that might be just like designated to return off IR. And uh, we'll see. I wouldn't, I've kind of always been under the impression that week six going into the Minnesota game was probably Me a better too, yeah. timeline for him, but we'll see. Is is this a situation where maybe you throw him out just to see, you know, get him some of those in-game reps and stuff like that, and if he looks bad, you just pull him? But, you know I mean, what I mean? Yeah, but you got to create a roster spot for him first. So, that's like, true. that's going to end up being a big thing if they end up, like, if it's anybody other than Chase Claypool, then I don't know how they get him onto the roster. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and I guess that is the other question here, just to tie things up. What is the latest with Chase? Because, I mean, I'm... I, I, I hesitate to say anybody's just outright lying to us, but I mean, what we heard from Flus, I, I don't know what else to call it. What we've heard through this whole thing, right? He didn't, he, we, we didn't tell him to go home. We did tell him to go home, right? Like Chase Claypool was clearly told to go home and not be around the team. Eddie Jackson spoke about it, basically said, you can't think that you're bigger than the room or bigger than the group. We heard Cole Komet speak about it. Uh, he said that he's a he's a tremendous friend and he loves him as a person. The word teammate was missing from there. Where mm -hmm. are we at with the Chase Claypool situation? I know the Bears are trying to trade him, but is that realistic? It's not realistic because so so like he's not even through four full seasons yet. He doesn't have four vested seasons, so he's subject. If they cut him, they would be waiving him, so he yeah. would be subject to waivers and. You know, there's 30 other teams because he's not going back to Pittsburgh. Um, there's 30 other teams in the claim order that would have a chance to to pick him up. Now, him passing through waivers, as talented as the guy is, former second round pick, nobody's going to want to pick up the guarantees that come with ours by $2.3 million left on his contract. I think yeah. he would clear and I think he'd go sign somewhere. Now, if you're Ryan Poles and trying to get like a future seventh round pick for the guy just to be able to say you got something. Yeah, and you know, obviously that team would be picking up a salary. Then you try to go that route, like so. There have a lot been a lot of people who are like, why didn't they just cut him? You know, or wave him Monday? Like, teams are going to exhaust every option they have to try to like move yeah. his stuff off the books and just like put that chapter to bed. But it hasn't happened yet, and I keep thinking since like players get earn their game checks by Tuesday. Of so yesterday, yeah. like he's still on this roster for a reason, and I think it's because they are still actively seeking to trade him. But we'll see. Like I, I if they cut him outright, wave him outright, that would not surprise me either. The thing has been handled so poorly this week, and I don't see how they like this is going to be one that they're going to have to kind of wear uh, yeah. for a while because it's not a good look and. It was preventable. Um, I understand the logic of why they tried it, but there were a lot more red flags that came with this player than anything else. Oh yeah, this is this is a pure swing and a miss at this point. Like, mm -hmm. it, this is is this Ryan Pohl's worst move? Yes, it is. It is one hundred percent, and he'll have to wear that. And it doesn't yeah. mean that every move he makes is bad. Like, yes, there have been some. Ones that like you know have not panned out. Granted, in a short amount of time, two yeah, years yeah. is not a long long not even full two years is not a long time to like really gauge. Is he a good GM? Is he not? But like this one is one that he's It's an L it's a flat L yeah. he'll have to wear for a while. I was just trying to, I was, well, Ogan Joby didn't sign here, but I guess that one. Yeah. Uh, that one was bad too. He kind of, well, was it though? It's like, it was bad, but also 
He also hasn't been good. <laughs> no, it was a knee-jerk reaction yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. the market, and they were going like, to – They lo- it ended up working out. They were going to overpay him. I remember at the time I, checking around that, with other, like, you know, uh, NFL executives that I talked to who – I was like, how much do you guys have him valued? And they're like, it was like $10 million less from where yeah, he yeah. was. It's in the 5 to $6 million range versus where the Bears had him, like, you know, upward double digits. Like, that was just – that's a young general manager at that yeah. time trying to fix a position that he felt in Matt Eberflus's defense was necessary to kind of kickstart this thing after trading away Khalil Mack. So I um I can't fault him for that one nearly as much as the Chase Claypool one's yeah. fair. Yeah. And it's because you brought in somebody who falls into that turbulent teammate sort of um, category. Like when I was listening to Waddle and Sylvie yesterday, they were replaying the sound from polls the day that he was traded. And how, you know, did you evaluate him before when he's coming out? Yeah, I did. Like, you know, the reputation, he's a fiery player. We're going to bring him in on the onboarding process, what they talked about, and, like, you know, how they're going to, like, have him channel those things. Clearly didn't work out. Clearly did not work out. Like, they kind of, I think, honestly, both sides failed each other and all of that. 100%. I I think it got to a point where Chase was sick of what the Bears were doing with him and – the Bears were sick of Chase's attitude towards how the Bears were utilizing him. But at the same time, you're not going to see the football more than DJ Moore, my friend. Like, I don't, I'm sorry. Like, I don't feel bad for you that you were the number two in this offense, right? Like, the, it would be so Bears, though, right, that we're going to wave this guy. He's going to go be the number one in Carolina and help him win seven games. What? What? I'm jaded. I'm I'm, I'm jaded. I've I've got such a uh, bad history with this stuff in Chicago. There's so many players that have just gone elsewhere and been better than us. He won't be Bobby Portis. That's what I keep telling myself. (laughs) Hey, I think that's another pod. Uh, What's your prediction for tomorrow's game? Do you have the Chicago Bears getting their first win in 14, 15 games at that point? I don't. I picked picked (laughs) the Bears in this podcast last week against the Broncos. So I'm not going to continue to go back to the well on this situation. So I, I bet it's a close game. I think Washington's a better football team. Um, and they just played a team that went to the Super Bowl really, really tough. Like this is not the, the thing is it's not the same old Washington commanders team that would give up and just like lay down and die the way they had in previous years. Yeah. Like there's a different air around this team from the ownership down to, you know, the product on the field. And I just, I think they're, I just think they're in a better spot than the bears right now to be able to pull out a win at home. And the bears are practicing today. And then like, this is weird that they have like the schedule that they do where they've got a walkthrough today going into yeah. you know, getting on the plane tonight, getting there. It's just, uh, yeah. So we'll see, we'll see, but I don't, I think it'll be a close game. I just don't think the bears will win. <sighs> I can't pick them. Every time I pick them, they, they lose. So you got to go the opposite them. of what All you right. did the week before. Washington dominates. Yeah, you know oh, I mean, dominates. Like, I dominates. even gave him a chance. Dominates. No, because that, because that means that means the Bears will hold on to a twenty-eight to three lead, right? I'm going full <laughs> on opposite here. All right. Washington dominates the Chicago Bears. Reverse psychology. Go get the job done, Bears. All right. Uh, oh, I can't wink. That was terrible. I had a stroke right there. Did you see that? <laughs> hey, uh, follow us on everything. At ESPN Chicago, ESPN 1000. Of course, you can follow me on everything at Pat the Designer. Courtney Cronin and Courtney R. Cronin. Appreciate you guys for tuning in and showing love. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the page. Bear down, Bears fans. Let's hope we're talking about a win tomorrow. Peace.